The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, it is great to be with you. Uh, it's great for us to be together, to uh, worship the Lord, to sing praise to him, to uh, offer prayers, and to sit under his word in a few moments to dine at his table. Um, for this is what the Lord has given us, because uh, we are in need of uh, remembering and being reminded of who he is and what he is doing and what he is calling us to do. And so we come every week, right, week after week, to hear of the promises and the truths of God's word and, and to be oriented and, and reshaped and reformed after the image of Jesus so that we would live in this world as people reflecting his grace and his care. And so it is good to be together and to come around God's word. And the portion of his word we're going to be looking at this morning is Psalm 121. So if you're joining us for the first uh, time maybe this summer or, or maybe ever, uh, you're joining us in the beginning of our summer series in the Psalms. So last week we ended our series on the fruit of the Spirit, and this day, like we have in summers past, we begin a series looking at the Psalms. And we go back to the Psalms each and every summer. We return to them because the Psalms played such a central role in the life of the Old Testament people of God. For Israel, the Psalms were their official hymn book. They would sing these songs to the Lord and to one another as they went to the temple, as they went to worship, even as they were going to the temple. They would sing to God and to one another. But these Psalms weren't just central to the life of God's people in the Old Testament, they're central to God's people in the New, because the Psalms are quoted and cited by New Testament authors. And in fact, Jesus himself, of all the books of the Old Testament, he quotes and cites the Psalms more than any other. And so the Psalms are, were a central part in his ministry, in his life, and, and so too are they for us. You see, the Psalms tell us who God truly is. They reflect to us uh, what he is about and his character. And the Psalms also help us to see our lives as they are. Right? Anyone who's read just a few of the Psalms has seen our emotion and our experience reflected on its pages because in the Psalms we see these, these high praises of God for what he has done, but we've also seen deep cries of lament. We see questions from the heart and assurances of faith. All of our human experience is expressed in this book. And so we return to them this summer with the expectation that God is going to use this book to, to fashion and refashion our hearts and our thoughts, our affections and our actions around him. And we begin with Psalm 121. Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent. It's one of 15 psalms that are collected together. They're called the Psalms of Ascents from 120 to 134. And these were songs that Israel would sing to one another and to the Lord as they were going up to Jerusalem for pilgrimage, as they were going to Jerusalem to, to experience worship and feasts and festivals like the Passover and the Feast of Weeks. As they traveled, they would sing. They would sing these words. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we come to it acknowledging our need. Father, apart from you, uh, we are helpless. Apart from you, uh, we do not know which way to go. Apart from you, we will be distracted by the cares of our flesh and of the world, and so we need your help. So we ask that you would help us this day so that our minds would be captured by your word, that our hearts would be softened by your spirit, and that you would equip us to follow you in all of our ways. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I think that one of the hardest words for most of us uh, to say is a word that we actually see reflected in this psalm. It's one word. It's the word help. We don't like to say help. We don't like to invite people to help us. We don't want people to think that we need help. And if we were ever to be portrayed as helpless, well, that's just something that we we wouldn't ever want to fathom. We don't like to say help. And and I've wondered, like, why is that? Like, what is our propensity against saying that word, help? You know, uh, I was thinking about this, and I realized that if I was preaching this sermon years ago, and if I was thinking about this topic many years ago, I would spend the next few moments trying to convince you that you need help. That I would spend the next few moments trying to convince you that, that you're not enough, that you're not adequate, and all these sorts of things. But, but I've realized, like, I don't need to convince you of that. Because our problem isn't that we need help or convincing ourselves that we need help, because we all know we need it. Right? We've experienced times of struggle and difficulty, times of trial and turmoil where we know that we need help. Our problem isn't convincing ourselves we need, our, need help. Our problem is convincing ourselves that we're not the ones to help ourselves. You see, that's what we struggle with. We have no problem saying, I need help. The problem is, is where we look for help. We often look to ourselves. I mean, the psalmist, he knows to look for help, right? He says, where does my help come? And I think what we would say if we were to ask that question, how we would answer it, maybe not with our words, but certainly with our actions, is our help comes from me or you or whoever it is that's looking at you in the mirror. That is where our help comes from. And think about our world. I mean, it's driving us to think this way, isn't it? I mean, everything around us, from YouTube tutorials to troubleshooting sections of manuals to books that are called (laughs) self-help, they're all turning us in our time of need to ourselves. I mean, that phrase, self-help, went on Amazon the other day. I didn't search for any book. I just clicked on the category self-help, and I hit enter without searching for a book, and over 70,000 titles showed up. 70,000 over, and and I guarantee you that is not the breadth of of the titles that have been written in the category self-help from the very beginning of time, right? Those are just the best-selling 70,000 titles. (laughs) And when you add into that 
self-esteem, dreams, spiritual self-help, the number increases to over 100,000. There are these books whose whole purpose is to help you help yourself. To help you help yourself lose weight. To not be a people pleaser. To have a good life. And my favorite title that I saw was to have a good vibe. (laughs) I don't know what a good vibe is. But whatever it is, there's a book to help you achieve a good vibe. (laughs) But what all of these books are telling us is where we are to find help. And it's from within. That we need to just tap into some place in our mind, our thoughts, our desires, our wills. That everything that we need in our time of need is found right here. But where does the psalmist turn? He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, we don't know why he's needing help. We don't know the circumstance. We don't know that if maybe there are enemies lurking. We know from other psalms, sometimes the psalmist feels like he's being surrounded by enemies, maybe from outside the church or from even within, right? We don't know if that's the situation or that trouble's brewing in some way or he's experiencing some sort of inner turmoil. But what we do know is he needs help, and so he looks to the hills. And looking to the hills, I don't think he's looking to Jerusalem, that great city on a hill. One, it's plural, hills, not the hill. But also, he's on pilgrimage. He's moving up towards Jerusalem. And so, I think he's looking to the hills in the countryside on the way. He looks to the hills, and what would he have seen in these hills? Well, he would have seen places where marauders and robbers and enemies might be lurking because it was in the hills that there would be caves and places to hide where people who would maybe jump out and rob him and leave him for dead would be hiding might see those things. He may also look to the hills, depending on the the time in which this psalm was written, he might look and he sees idols and temples to pagan gods, because that's where the, the temples and the idols would be erected. It would be on the hilltops. And so if you needed rain, you would pray to the rain god, and you would look to the hill in which his idol was, and you would turn your gaze towards that hill. Or if you want a child and you were barren, you would pray to the fertility god, but you would look to the hills for that temple or idol. And the psalmist, he looks to the hills. He looks to the hills, and he may have seen these symbols. But what he realizes is that in his time of need, where his help will come from is not from these hills, but he says in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. You see, the psalmist doesn't look to idols of the day or even to himself. He looks to the Lord because the Lord is the psalmist's help. He is the one who helps his people. And we see how he helps his people or why he helps his people because of who he is. He is the creator. That's how the psalmist describes God. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, throughout the Psalms, the psalmist will often invoke the fact that God has created the heavens and the earth as a way of expressing various characteristics and attributes about God. Like, for instance, his uniqueness. We see this in Psalm 96. He's he's not like the other gods. God is the creator, and so it expresses his authority in Psalm 135, his provision in Psalm 146, his power in 135, and in this passage... That he is our help. 
You see, God's not like the idols on the hillside. He is the creator of heaven and earth. The one who hung the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. The one who formed the land and the air and the sea. The one who made the birds and the fish and the animals. The one who breathed life into our lungs. He is the creator. He is unbounded and powerful and able to help in time of need. I mean, think about that. If he can create the heavens and the earth by the very word of his power, just said, let there be light, and there was. If he has that kind of power, that kind of authority, is he not able to help? Of course he is. But what's amazing is that he's not just able to help, he's willing to help. And we see this in the fact that he's not just the creator, but he's also the keeper. It's the most frequently used word in our psalm, keep or keeper. It shows up six times in these eight verses. And this word, it means to preserve, to protect, to guard, to watch over. It's actually the same word that was used of Adam. So you're remembering Genesis 1 and 2, God created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain. And on the sixth day, after he created everything, he then created man in his own image. He forms Adam out of the dust. He breathes life into him. He forms Eve out of the side of the man. And he puts them in the garden. And what does he tell them to do? Keep it. That's the word that's used. They were to keep the garden. And then in keeping the garden, what they were supposed to be doing is, is cultivating it, guarding it, protecting it. Right? Overseeing it and keeping it as God would keep his world. But, but we know that Adam failed, didn't he? He didn't keep the garden. Because when that pesky serpent came in, he should have taken a rock and he should have smacked his head, right? That's what he should have done. But in his rebellion and in his sin, that's not what he did. He didn't keep the garden. But, but God, where Adam failed, succeeds. And God doesn't just keep the garden. He doesn't just keep this little plot of land. He keeps the psalmist. He guards and protects him. But what's amazing about this is that he's not only guarding and protecting and keeping the psalmist, he's keeping us. Because did you notice how the pronouns changed in our psalm? In verses 1 through 2, the psalmist is speaking to himself. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. But then in verses 3 through 8, the pronoun changes. He's no longer speaking to himself, but now he's speaking to the people of God, to the people of Israel. He says, he who keeps you keeps Israel. The Lord is your keeper. And so what we see that's occurring in this psalm is what we see in a lot of psalms, this movement from the individual to the corporate. That's what's happening. The psalmist is telling us that what is true of him, that the way that the Lord keeps him is true of us. That God is our help and our keeper. He's your help. He's your keeper. Not just the psalmist. Not just David. Not just the names written in this book. Not just the professional holy people. Not just the clergy. Not just He is your help and your keeper. He will not let your feet be moved. The Lord will keep you from evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in. He keeps you. Now listen, y'all, this doesn't mean that all your trials and all your difficulties, they'll just fade away. That's not what this means. Right? That if you just believe 
if you have enough faith, if you just trust in Jesus, then all of your troubles, they will melt as quickly as ice in the hot sun. That is not what this means. And we know that's not what the psalmist is saying because we know that countless psalms are filled with, God, with God's people and with the psalmist crying out to God to help them. And in times of need, they're looking to God. And Jesus himself said that in this life, we will experience difficulty and trial. No, you see, the hope of this passage isn't that in this life, we will have lives that are trial and difficulty free difficulty free the hope is that not that those difficulties and trials will be gone but that the lord doesn't go away that is our hope that even in the midst of difficulty even in the midst of trial that the lord keeps us and guards us and helps us he helps you and me he helps his church we actually sing this when we sing that beautiful hymn the church is one foundation is that wonderful stanza, the church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. That is our hope. And that is the promise of this psalm, that the Lord will keep his people, that he helps his people. But when will this help come? Well, the psalm tells us God helps his people all times. Now, there's no question that we need and we want God's help in times of significant struggle and trial, right? The psalmist describes that in verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. But it's not just in the monumental, difficult times that the Lord is our help. It's also in the normal and the mundane times of life. And we see this in the imagery that the psalmist uses. He says, won't, God won't let your feet be moved. And so think about it, as he's walking along the path, as he's going up to Jerusalem, it would have been easy to hit a stone and to roll his ankle maybe and to have find his foot to slip just a little. But what? God, even then, he won't let your feet be moved. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. That language of shade, it can be translated shadow. And think about how close your shadow is. We're not like Peter Pan. The shadow doesn't just, you know, disengage and go run around. We don't have to sew him back. Right? You can't get rid of your shadow. It's always with you. And what the psalmist is telling us is that that's the Lord, that, that he is as close to us as our shadow. But, but what's amazing about this as well is, is that many people think that the psalmist is bringing forth this militaristic imagery. Because the Lord is our shadow or our shade on our right hand, well, the right hand of someone in battle would have been the vulnerable side. You see, as a soldier would go out to battle, he would hold his shield with his left hand. And he would hold his, his sword or his spear in his right hand, and they would stand behind the shield, and, and it would cover the left side so he could peer around the shield, and he would have his right hand ready. And so his left hand was guarded, but his right side was vulnerable. But what is the psalmist saying? That even in the times of vulnerability... Even where we are not guarded, the Lord guards us. That he protects us. He is our shade on our right hand. That we are hidden in the shadow of the Lord. You're going out and you're coming in. Wherever we are, wherever we go, the Lord is with us. As you drove to church this morning, and as you leave this place in a few minutes, 
when you sit at your breakfast table and you go to work, when you're out on a run and you're talking on the phone, when you're buying groceries and changing diapers, the Lord is your help. Even when we sleep, even when we sleep, the Lord guards us. He guards us because he doesn't sleep. We heard the psalmist say that, right? He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, as soon as I read that verse, my mind went to that story in 1 Kings 18. You remember this story where um, Elijah, the prophet of God, challenges the prophets of Baal, right? He's challenging them to a test to see whose God is the true God. And so Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, y'all set up your, uh, your sacrifice and you call out to Baal and I'll set up my sacrifice and I'll call out to God and we'll see who shows up. And so the prophets of Baal go first. They set up their sacrifice and they dance around the, the sacrifice and they cry out to Baal and this goes on for hours. Nothing happens. There's no fire from the heavens. The, the sacrifice remains there. And so what does Elijah do after a little while? Do you remember? He said, some mo- well, you need to cry out some more. You need to cry out some more because maybe Baal, he's musing. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's using the bathroom. That, that's really in there, kids. Like, maybe Baal is relieving himself and he can't be bothered right now. He's having some alone time. Maybe he's sleeping and he just needs to be aroused. But the Lord? No, Baal never showed up. But Elijah just calls out to the Lord and fire descends from heaven and engulfs the sacrifice. You see, the one who showed himself to be greater than Baal and the one to whom the psalmist cries out to, he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never stops keeping his people. So y'all, when do you look to him for help? I know it's easy for us to, to act like he's only going to help when the ground starts to shake and our hearts start to tremble. But what about the rest of the time? I mean, do we treat God just simply as a quiet observer? I have to say, the, the other week, as I was talking to my counselor, I actually talked about that, like how easy it is for me to believe that God is concerned with the major and the mighty things of this world and even the major and mighty things of my life, but, but my next step? Our hours of rest? Our coming in and going out? Is he our help and our guard and our keeper then? What the psalm is telling us is that even in the seemingly insignificant times of life, God keeps us. He was our help yesterday, and he is our help today, and he is our help forever. And that's how the psalm ends, doesn't it? The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He helps and keeps us forever. And y'all, that is a theme that we see throughout the scriptures. From the earliest pages of Genesis, through the narratives of the Old Testament, to the Psalms and the prophets, and even into the New Testament, we see this promise that God will help and keep his people forever. We hear it in the words of Paul in Romans 8 when he says, He who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then Paul goes on and says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That is the promise that God gives us. That his help and his keeping and his guarding, it did not end years ago, but it continues forevermore because of Jesus. That is the promise. That because Christ took the evil of our sin upon himself, he spares us from evil. That because Christ took the punishment on himself, he spares us from punishment. That because on the cross, Christ was forsaken by the Father, we are not forsaken. No, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord because he is our help and our guard and our keeper for all time. And so friends, friends, do not look to the idols of this world or to the flesh. Do not look to yourself for help, but in time of great need and normal life, look to the Lord because it is the Lord. It is he where our help comes from. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have promised that you will not leave us nor forsake us, that you have given us your spirit to lead us in the way that we are to go, and we know that if we are in Christ, that we are yours indeed. And so we take great comfort knowing that every breath we take and every step that we take, that we do so as ones who have been guarded and kept by you. And so I pray that you would help us not to look to ourselves or to this world, but we would look to you, our God, our God and our guard, our keeper and our help. We pray this in Christ's name. And God's people said together, Amen.